Jesus distributes it to them. And so we see from the other Gospels, too, that Jesus basically, he's taking it, breaking it, and giving it to the disciples. And the disciples go and give it to the people. And it, it seems to be as it's in Jesus' hand, and as he's handing it out, it's multiplying more and more. So the miracle, I believe, was in Jesus' hand. It wasn't in the disciples' hand when they were giving it out. It wasn't with the people as they were passing around. I believe the multiplication was happening in Jesus' hand. And I really believe that whatever we have, if we want to see it multiplied, if we want to see it blessed, it needs to be in Jesus' hand. He's the one who provides all, right? He's the creator. He's the one who can perform miracles. He's the one with power. So whatever we have, if we want to see uh, God do something amazing with it, we have to give it to Jesus and let Jesus bless it. Let Jesus multiply it. And then he gives it to us. And then from there, it becomes something more. So I, I would really say, like, when we're thinking, like, oh, God, I only have this little bit. Before we go out and try to do something, we really need to set our hearts right and say, I'm giving it to you. First, like there's some sort of sacrifice and offering to him first. Lord, I'm giving it to you. And then in a way he gives it back to us to go then and bless others. Does that make sense? It's this action of trust, this action of giving it to him, letting him be the multiplier, letting him be the one who blesses it and does really truly does do the miracle. And then it says that they ate as much as they wanted. Like it wasn't like, oh, we got to eat a, a few bites each. These people were getting seconds and thirds if they wanted, as much as they wanted. Like this was buffet style multiplication happening from the hands of Jesus as he's passing this out. People get to eat as much as they want. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So everybody had eaten their fill. They were full. They were satisfied. And then Jesus says, hey, go and collect the fragments. And the, the amount of the fragments was 12 baskets full for the disciples themselves. And what's amazing to me is that these disciples had been willing to give all of their money to feed these people just a little. And they passed that test in a sense. They showed that they were willing. And now in the hands of Jesus, he took a little instead, multiplied it. And instead of these men having to give all 200 denarii of their uh, savings, now instead they're collecting leftovers from a miracle, 12 baskets, one for each. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? What's amazing about the story, um, besides this crazy, miraculous multiplication, is that sometimes Jesus is only looking for willingness. Sometimes God is only looking for a willing heart. Sometimes he just wants to know that if I did tell you this, if I did want you to do this, that you would. And so sometimes he tests us and you don't even have to go through the thing. You don't even actually have to give the thing up. He just wants to see your willing heart as he did with the disciples. And sometimes following Jesus, you get to see a miracle. Sometimes you get to follow him and you end up receiving, right? Instead of having to give. 
you end up being the one who receives. And other times, the miraculous life, as we'll see in a minute with the, the, the walking on water, sometimes it's not as easy as that. But we'll get to that in a minute. Here we see that they were rewarded for their faith and their, their obedience to Jesus. So let's talk about these people again. Verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So they're referencing the prophet that's talked about in Deuteronomy as the one who would come in this likeness of Moses, who would be the one who would really be this provider for their nation. Um, this was, of course, a prophecy about the Messiah. And they're saying, like, that's the dude. That's the guy. That's the one who's in the likeness of Moses who provides for us. Right? So Moses, uh, really by God, but they would certainly, as Moses was the leader, have given him some sort of credit for manna. Like it was during Moses' leadership that we were provided for um, physically. And God gave us bread from heaven under Moses' leadership. There was provision, supernatural provision. And here is this man who's seemingly in the likeness of Moses, who provided bread miraculously. Let's make him king, it says. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. It's interesting, right? So like, uh, there's this quote, and it said that in Rome, the people cried out for bread and the circus. Like all they wanted from their leadership was the bread and the Colosseum. They wanted the entertainment that came from it. That's all they wanted. And, and you know what? Like today, that hasn't really changed. Governments are turned over even today because there isn't enough food. That alone. And so these people, they're under this Roman government. They're looking to Jesus as this one who seems like Moses, who's provided bread, miraculous, and they want to make him king. Like, and now he's got 20,000 people possibly gathering around Jesus saying, we're going to make you king. Like they could have started some sort of riot. Like they could have started some sort of siege on, on Rome. Like, hey, it's 20,000 of us here together. Let's make this dude our king. Enough with Rome. It's time for this guy to be our king. But Jesus didn't want any of that. It's what we see in, in Mark's gospel is that Jesus forces his disciples into a boat and, and he tells them to meet him on the other side. And then we see here somehow in, in John, Jesus kind of dismisses the people or he like does some sort of ninja moves as he often does in the, in the gospels where it's like a crowd's gathering around him and it's like, but Jesus escaped. And it's like, how do you, like if you're the dude everybody's like trying to get and there's thousands of people around you, how do you escape? I don't know how Jesus did it. There's another miracle here, the miracle of miraculously escaping things. <laughs> Sometimes I would love to know how to do that, right? Just like miraculously, like I'm out of this conversation, <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to be here anymore. I can just disappear. Uh, man, that's a good miracle. Praying for that one. So Jesus is like, this is getting out of hand. You guys are, are, are responding in a way that's not going to work right now. So he just, he gets out of the way. He goes up onto the mountain. In, in, in John's gospel, it says uh, to be by himself. In Mark's gospel, it says he was there praying. And we'll see here um, that the disciples, as it's getting dark, they decide to obey Jesus and actually go to the other side like he told them. So verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. 
It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, it's about seven miles across, seven and a half miles across, so they're right at the halfway point. Three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So they start rowing, they're obeying Jesus. In Mark's gospel, it says he's up on the mountain praying and watching them row. <laughs> like, I love that. That's like humorous to me. Because Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to go sit on this mountain. I'm going to pray for a little bit. I want you guys to get in the boat, row to the other side. He knew that there was a storm coming. He knew that they would be halfway um, across the sea, rowing and rowing against the wind. And he sits on the mountain watching. <laughs> right? That's amazing to me. He's just watching them. And I, I, I think he maybe was like probably thought it was a little bit funny. Like, I have to think that he thought it was a little bit funny. Like, <laughs> look at them rowing. Well, they're trying so hard. And then Jesus decides, I'm going to come down from the mountain. I'm going to walk on water. And then I'm going to walk past them. In Mark's gospel, it says he intended to walk past them. It doesn't say that here in John's gospel. But Mark's gospel, he, he, he's like, I told you to get in the boat and row across. I know there's a storm, but you know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be going to the other side. I'll meet you there. And he's just like walking past them. And then in Matthew's gospel, it says that Peter cries out like, is it you, Jesus? And it's like, who else would be walking on water? <laughs> like, had Peter seen a lot of other people walking on water? He's like, oh, it's one of those water walkers. Oh, <laughs> is it you though, Jesus, or is it one of the other ones? I don't know, <laughs> it's weird. So, but Matthew's gospel, Peter calls out to him. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's me, because they had thought it was maybe a ghost. So Peter was like, oh, maybe it's one of the water walkers, or maybe it's one of the ghosts who just like walks around in water. Anyways, they were frightened. They call it to Jesus, is it you? And then there's, in Matthew's gospel, this, this, this point where Peter says to Jesus, like, tell me to come out and walk on the water. And so Jesus says, yeah, come on, come on out. And Peter steps out of the boat. He starts walking towards Jesus. Pretty crazy. A little bit jealous of Peter, as you guys know, I would love to walk on water. And then Peter, like, starts looking at the waves, starts sinking into the water. He cries out to Jesus to save him. Jesus pulls him up out of the water. So then I guess they get back in the boat, and there's this crazy verse right here. Remember, it says that they're three, four miles out, which means they have about three, four miles to go. But it says as soon as Jesus steps into the boat, and John... Um, 1621, then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately. And the word there means immediately in Greek. It doesn't mean like in a short time. It just means immediately. And so some, I'm not sure, some believe there was some sort of teleportation here. Like we see, like Philip, he was called to preach um, out in the desert. And so God takes him out into the desert, to, to, and there's this one Ethiopian man he runs into. He shares with him about Jesus. He baptizes the Ethiopian man, and when the Ethiopian man comes out of the water, Philip then disappears, it says. Like, it's the same word for the rapture, which is when like, the Christians will be taken up in a twinkling of an eye. 
It's the same word used there. Philip's like disappears and suddenly finds himself in another city. So that, like there's potentially two cases of teleportation in the Bible. I told you we serve a crazy God, right? One is when Philip gets transferred miraculously from one place to another. The other is possibly here, the way it says immediately, it's possible that the boat just suddenly, as soon as Jesus stepped into it, they were at the place that they needed to be. It's also possible that maybe the twin, Jesus turns the wind and in incredible speed, maybe they're just blown right there, which is also a miracle because he has power over the storm. He has power over the wind. So I'm not sure which it is, but it's interesting to think about. So we have this pretty crazy story. Uh, those, um, they got to see Jesus turn a few loaves into many, many loaves and many fish for the people to eat. And, and in that moment, they had, they had shown that they were willing to give all. And instead, they end up on the receiving end as well. Instead of on the giving end, they end up being on the receiving end. And that was in the will of God. So sometimes you can be in the will of God, and maybe he wants to test see if you're willing to do something hard, but he's like, actually, I'm going to let you do something easy. And in fact, you're going to be rewarded for it. So sometimes you're in the will of God and you're receiving reward. You're receiving blessing. And all of us would love to be at that point. Amen? Sometimes we're like, yeah, like that's the will of God. When, when I show that I have a willing heart, but I don't actually have to leave my comfort zone or do anything difficult, and instead I just get free stuff. That's the will of God. That has to be the will of God. Blessing can only be the will of God. Good things, good gifts can only be the will of God. But we see here that Jesus told them to go out into the water and row against a storm. And he's sitting up on a mountain watching them and they're struggling and they are still exactly where Jesus wants them. They were out where Jesus wanted him when they were receiving free gifts and they were at they were in Jesus' will when they were rowing in the storm. I think that's amazing. Sometimes we think when hardships are in our life, that it's a punishment from God. Or it's because we've done something wrong and we must be outside of the will of God. Like I'm not getting free bread, I'm in a storm. So God must be mad at me, I must be outside of the will of God. I think Jesus is sitting there going, no, you're exactly where I want you. You're exactly where I want you. Because we serve a very big sovereign God, don't we? And if we're listening to our, his voice, he's guiding us. And sometimes God wants you in the storm. Now, that's not the same fluffy message that we get from the feeding of the 5,000. Like, oh, we get free bread. Sometimes that's where God wants you, where it's easy. Sometimes he wants you where it's hard. Now, I do believe that sometimes something in your life might be difficult because of sin in your life that you just keep making these repeated mistakes and you won't listen to wisdom. There are certainly times where things are difficult in your life because you're bringing it upon yourself because of your sin, because you won't listen to God. So sometimes, for sure, you, there are self-made storms. And sometimes there are storms that we just don't have any answers for. We don't know exactly why they're there. But I would say often there are storms in our life and we can't quite explain why it's there other than that Jesus is testing us. Jesus is trying to grow us. 
Jesus told you to be there. And it's difficult and it's hard and you feel like you're roaming and getting nowhere. But Jesus told you to be there. So do we, what do we do when we're in the storm? I think there's, you know, if you compare the Gospels, I think there's quite a few things we can learn about being in the storm. The first is crying out for Jesus, right? Crying out for Jesus, we see that. Peter then got to walk on water because he cried out to Jesus. Then when he started to sink, he still cried out to Jesus again. Jesus rescues him again. So I think crying out for Jesus in the storm is, is probably the most important thing we can do. Being willing to step out of the boat sometimes, that's, good. that's a good point too. Like sometimes, you know, we've got to step out of the, the place that we think is safe, out into the water with Jesus. But you know what I'm seeing in this text in John? Is getting Jesus into the boat with you. This boat is shaking probably feels like it's about to flip. And they invite Jesus into the boat. And when Jesus steps in, they're immediately at where they need to be. We just got to invite Jesus into our storms. Because the storms will be used in our life to either build up our faith or to increase our doubt. That's why they're tests. Satan would love it if we got halfway and that we're rowing against that storm and we said every single sign is pointing for me to turn around and go back. But that was directly against God's word. God has said, go to the other side. I'll meet you there. Satan wants us to give up. Satan wants us to turn back when it gets hard. Jesus wants us to invite him in to the storm, invite him into our life. In the midst of the hardest points in our life, the best thing for us to do is to cry out to Jesus and invite him in. And when we do that, I think we can see all sorts of amazing miracles. Like there's the miracle of faith, which is really underrated. Like, I would love to walk on water. But I'll tell you right now, somebody who has faith in the midst of the most difficult circumstances of their life and won't give up on Jesus, won't turn back, but keeps fighting and keeps crying out to him. And I am more impressed by that miracle of faith than I am by somebody walking on water. And I'm being sincere. Getting through difficult things with Faith is far more impressive than walking on water. Because there are so many people whose faiths are destroyed because of hard things. There's so many people that just want to follow wherever the wind will blow. They want the path of least resistance. Because in our flesh, that's our tendency. What is the easiest route? How can I take that route? Right? Oh, there's opposition that way? Not going that way, going this way. That's our flesh. Our flesh is seeking what's easiest, what's most comfortable, 
what works best for us, what seems the safest, where there might be the most reward for us personally. We're seeking that path of least resistance. And I think that sometimes Jesus puts you in a storm to test your faith and see, will you fight against the wind? Will you fight against the opposition? Will you row for hours and hours all night? Because I told you to. That's a lesson that I am, feel like I'm constantly learning. <laughs> like, and every time I'm like, oh, I learned that lesson. Now I don't have to go through any more storms. It's like, no, nah, here's another storm. <laughs> the will of God, seeking the will of God in our lives is a tricky thing because it looks different. Sometimes it does look like the rewards and sometimes it looks like the storms. And so what we do is we look at somebody else's walk and we go, man, look at all the reward over there. I'm sitting here in a storm. Either God doesn't like me or I must not be in the will of God. Right? And so we get jealous of them. Or we do the opposite. We're like, maybe we really do know. No, I, no, Jesus really did tell me to be in this place. And I am rowing. And I guess maybe I'll eventually get to the other side of the storm. But they must not be in God's will because it's easy for them. Right? They must be disobeying God. That's why it's so easy for them. They're seeking their own pleasure. They're not seeking the will of God. So we judge them. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? Don't, have you ever made those kind of judgments in your mind? I have. The will of God isn't as simple as we think it is. It's, it's much more complex. Sometimes it looks easy. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult. Sometimes he just wants to bless you and reward you. Other times he wants to teach you a lesson. And so I would say that that is why it's incredibly important for us to be in tune with his voice. It's really important for us to know what he had told us, to remember it, to keep it in our minds. It's really important for us to know who he is. So when we see him in the storm, we're crying out for him to come to us. Do you know the voice of God? Do you know what he has told you to do? If he told you to do something right now, would you know if it was him or not? How do you, how do you learn to discern whether or not it's God speaking. Well, it's by closeness. Jesus said that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They know it. So when you're drawing near to the shepherd, you're getting used to what he sounds like. And you start truly knowing his voice. And the other thing is, is your first reaction to cry out to Jesus in the storm? I'll be honest with you, sometimes for me it has not been my first reaction. It's been my last. Something difficult comes up and it's like, okay, how do I figure this out? I need a game plan. Uh, I need to make some phone calls. I need to do some research. How can I fix this? We need to call out to him. Amen? So today, if you feel like you're not sure, if you're hearing the voice of God, if you're, if you're not sure that where you're at right now is his will, ask him to speak to you clearly and, and practice that action of, of praying to him, but also listening to him. 
right? We petition a lot sometimes, but we're not willing to listen. God, what are you telling me in this moment? But also, if you're in a storm or you're not, wherever you're at in your life right now, are you crying out to him to be with you, to be in the boat with you? Let me tell you right now, I want Jesus in my boat, <laughs> like, especially if it's rough water. So I'm going to be crying out for Jesus to be with me more and more. And any bit of independent pride that I have, I need to like release it and just say, Jesus, be, be in my boat. Step in. Fix things in my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a big God. Lord, we lose sight of just how big you are. I think you gave us these stories to remind us just how big you are. Lord, I pray that we'd be, we would be seeking the miraculous life, a life that's filled with seeing you do things, seeing you um, take care of us, seeing you perform amazing miracles. But I, I, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be the people who seek the miracles more than you that in all of it, we would learn to cry out to you, that our goal isn't walking on, our, on water, the goal isn't the reward of bread, the goal isn't ease of life, the goal isn't any of those things, Lord. The goal is to cry out to you and to have you in the boat with us. And that is exactly the place that you want us, is where we're crying out for you and where we're seeking your presence to be with us always. Lord Jesus, be with each person right now. As we're praying, as we're worshiping, Lord, we're inviting you into our hearts. We're inviting you into our life. We're inviting you into our storms. We're inviting you into our problems. I believe that you are sure to step in when we invite you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.